Blog Talk Radio. Last night I saw a lunar eclipse in the sky. Then something happened in my mind's eye. I saw you in a whole different light. Clearly, really, it's not that I want you to change. It's more that I want you to stay the same. Oh, and I really want you to stay the same. I want you to stay right here with me for the next hour. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red. Yes, going to get redder next week. Time to do the roots again, but what can I tell you? Welcome to my little corner of the world. We call ourselves Read My Lips. And you know since you can't see me and my guest, you're going to have to listen carefully, but I'm going to make it worth your while, as I hope I always do. Thank you so much to all the listeners who've been joining us recently. Our numbers are tripled. I don't know where you all are or who you are, but I'm delighted that you're listening to the show. And I have to do a shout-out to Steve Harrison, Bradley Communications, and the National Publicity Summit for inviting me back as a media panelist. On Saturday, I was on a dais with 19 or 20 very esteemed media colleagues, and I addressed the new attendees at the summit, mostly new first-time authors, and about about 94 of them signed up to meet me. And in the two and a half hours I had available, with two and a half minutes apiece, I think uh, 60 people pitched me and I booked 44 guests. So the show slots are filled for October, November, December, January, February, March, and half of April until the next summit. Uh, Today my guests did not come from the Publicity Summit. They came from a wonderful, wonderful company called C.S. Lewis and Company Publicists. And I love getting pitches from independent publicists. So if you are one, don't hesitate to contact me with your great authors at Bonnie at Bonnie TV. Let me tell you a little bit about our love theme tonight. I know, I know the holidays are coming. We all want to be in love with a love, loving everything about our lives. Well, it ain't so, kids, because we've all been through, my goodness, relationship hassles and breakups, starts and stops, push and pulls. Well, my two authors tonight, one is a co-author, one is an author in her own right. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk in the first half to Dr. Terry Orbuck. Very easy to remember who she is. She's the love doctor, and she's even trademarked it. So it's Dr. T-E-R-R-I, the love doctor.com. You can visit that during the show. We're going to talk about her wonderful book. Her book is, let me get the title here, it's Finding Love. Again, I've got it right in front of me. Six Simple Steps to a New and Happy Relationship. But what's great about Dr. Terry is she did research. She's got scientific proof. She's going to bust all the myths that are holding you back, things that you may not know about, how men feel about love, how women who falls in love faster, who trusts more, who wants to get mm-hmm, first, last, foremost. We'll be finding out all the truth from Dr. Terry in just a couple of minutes when I finish my monologue. Second half, we're going to talk to... His name is Andrew Wald, but we're such good friends, he lets me call him Andy. He's the co-author of a book called Togetherness, Creating and Deepening Sustainable Love. His co-author is Cindy Dale. We have an awful lot to talk about. Cindy is not on the call with us today, but we're going to talk to Andy about what togetherness is all about and what it means and how you can really find yourself and the love of your life, how to go about mining those minefields, how how to go about stepping over the little things that are going to derail you, how to love yourself, how to find truth. We're going to talk about soulmates and so much more. Great book. I read both of them today because I like to be fresh and in the moment, and I think you're going to want to get those books after the show. Andy's website is Andrew Wald, two W's in the middle, don't forget that, dot com. But now I have to do my opening shout-outs. We already did a shout-out to the Publicity Summit. I have a shout-out to my Lorna, my Dune, my Kaylee, you're all beautiful, my Big Kahuna, so wonderful. My dancer, my artist, most likely to succeed, my pepper and my editor. You all know who you are and you're mine. Hello to Abraham, moi, and Laura, Lenny, Jackie, Lenny, feel better. Judith, Marty, and Shirley, Etty, and Moshe, and George, and all of my dancing friends. I love you all. Hey, October 22nd is today. Some famous birthdays. Let's see who we have on the list here. How about Shaggy? Huh? A reggae singer? I don't know, but somebody must want to celebrate. Happy birthday to Shaggy. Patty Davis, the author. Jeff Goldblum, the actor today. Let's see. We've got um, Catherine Deneuve. How beautiful, how gorgeous. Born today in 1943. Ha ha, she's older than me. Annette Funicello. Everybody remember the Mickey Mouse Club? Annette. Annette and, oh my goodness, Frankie Avalon and all the beach movies. Yes, yes, yes. Tony Roberts was born today. Christopher Lloyd. Derek Jacoby. Dory Previn. 
think she was the wife of Andre Previn. She's a songwriter. And I think she had to give him up to Mia Farrow. I'm sure one of my authors today on the show will second me on that one. Mitzi Green, Timothy Leary, let's not go there. We're just going to call him a counterculture guru born today. Doris Lessing, the novelist. Joan Fontaine, the actress. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Constant Bennett, the actress. And Sarah Bernhardt. Oh, my goodness. The real Sarah Bernhardt, 1844, not the new one. Goodbye, R.I.P. to Cousin Freddie again, and greetings to the Seattle Moose, the Seattle Chicks, and the Llamas. God bless you all. And now it's time for me to stop talking and introduce my very first guest today, Dr. Terry Orbach, the love doctor. How is life in love, Doctorville, Dr. Terry? How are you? <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. Life is great in love, Doctorville. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Listen, I love the fact that you've got some scientific proof of all of this myth-busting about what makes us tick and who falls in love faster and can men and women really be friends, blah, blah, blah. So tell me a little bit about how did you get started, Dr. Terry? Why did you approach this thing called love from a scientific basis? And how do people respond when they hear that you've actually got numbers behind us? Tell us a little bit about your study, your early marriage years. Yes, tell us a little bit about your study and uh, what it means to your practice. So go ahead. Well, first, I have been following, Bonnie, the same 373 couples now for over 25 years. And the project is funded, yes, it's a long period of time, and I hopefully will continue to follow them over time. It's funded by the National Institutes of Health. And what I'm really interested in is what keeps people together and happy, and then what breaks people apart. My first book was on the happily married couples, why and how they remained happy happy over time. That book was called Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. Mm -hmm. The second book that you introduced me with, which was just published, is called Finding Love Again, Six Simple Steps to a New and Happy Relationship, and it's on the divorced individuals. 46% of the couples that I have been following over time got divorced. And so I was very interested in coping, adjusting to the divorce, their children, how they found new love, and then Mm -hmm. the lessons they learned along the way about relationships over time. I think that the most important thing to say is that 71% of the people who got divorced found new love over time. That's amazing, and I know that your study was done in a particular location, and you did it in a very interesting way, Dr. Terry. You didn't typically do what people do, which is put a questionnaire out on the Internet or go to divorce counselors or marriage counselors. Tell us how you found your couples from the very beginning and what cross-section of our culture, our ages, our ethnicity they represent, so people will understand the basis for your comments, please. Absolutely. Well, I do say that it's a wonderful sample, a wonderful group of married couples that I've been following over time because we got these couples for marriage licenses. Everyone who applied for a marriage license in a four-month period in a Midwestern county of the United States, Mm -hmm. we asked all of those individuals to participate in the study. The things that had to occur was both members of the new couple had to say, yes, I would participate. Turns out that when we look at all the couples who participated in the group that I've been following over time, and I compare those individuals or couples to large national samples of people getting married, they look very similar, Bonnie, on lots of different measures, on ethnicity, on age of marriage, on income, on whether or not they live together. So what I like to say is that the findings from my study really are comparable to married couples all over the United States. Now that's amazing. That to me is amazing that you picked this Midwestern county that you went through how you did to get your people, that the people who actually signed up, A, signed up at all, B, were willing to stay with you for 25 years, and C, ended up being a pool of of candidates or research subjects, if you will, who are representative of the country. Were you surprised that you ended up with a pool that was so indicative of, listen, when you said 46% ending up divorced and we know that the popular statistic, Dr. Terry, is 50% of married couples get divorced, 
That's pretty damn close for me. I don't care about that little that end of the nail service. That is so close. Well, it's one amazing. night of money, absolutely. But I was so happy. <laughs> I was really happily surprised because then I can say that the findings in my book, which are based on this study, so they're not based on my clients and my clinical practice. They're not based on my personal experiences. They're based on a really good representative couples over time, and they look like you people who are listening, people who are wanting information and advice on their relationships. Wonderful. And, you know, a big popular word today, myth-busting. You've got some myth-busters in your book. I think it would be fun for us to go through how many questions we have here, your eight myth-busting questions, and just touch lightly on what the truth is. And, and I was very intrigued, Dr. Terry, this is on page five and six in the beginning of your book, Finding Love Again. I was very intrigued that you don't have an answer code, and I realized that the, the trick here, <laughs> should I give away the trick? Go ahead. That's fine. The trick is that you add up the number of falses you put to these true or false questions, and that's your relationship intelligence score. So you're pretty much in good shape. Uh, Dr. Terry calls you a relationship mythbuster because you didn't fall for it. So, Dr. Terry, may I read the question and you give a little bit of of a background on the answer you're finding? Absolutely. That sounds great. Okay, everybody, play along here. True or false? There's a definite period of time after a divorce or breakup before you're ready to get out there and start dating again. True or false? Dr. Terry, what did your findings show? The findings show that the answer is false. Contrary to what your friends or family may tell you, studies show, my findings show that there's no predetermined period of time after a divorce or after a breakup before you're ready to get back out there again. So even though you've heard those myths and common sense notions from your friends and family, you need to wait a month for every year you've been together Mm -hmm. or you need to wait two years. There is no research to support that. Some people emotionally separate while they're still married to one another and then when they get divorced, they're ready immediately to date again. Others need to have the divorce before they grieve and mourn and really step back and think, who do I want? Who am I? So no predetermined period of time. It's based on you as an individual. Very interesting. And there is a very popular uh, radio and TV psychologist whose name I will leave out of this discussion, (laughs) another one, not Dr. Terry, who has been giving the golden measure of one year. In that year, you're not supposed to date one-on-one. You're not supposed to, and her first name is synonymous with happiness, Uh, You're not supposed to date for a year one-on-one. You can go to group activities, church groups, or social groups, or join a political campaign, whatever it is, but you're not supposed to have a one-on-one. I believe the term was for a year. So that's very interesting. Let's go to question number two. This is a good one. True or false? Not only do opposites attract, they're more likely to stay together and stay in love. Dr. Terry, what did findings show? The findings show, again, that it's false, Bonnie. What we know is that similarity is what really keeps people together over the long haul. And it's similarity in key life values, those things that are really important to you, like the importance of religion, children, family, the approach to money. You can have different interests, hobbies, movie preferences, food likes, but what you want are similar key life values because there's less conflict and you're much more likely to stay together than over time. Very interesting. And, and of course, we're not going to let those people get boring or bored with each other, but they're going to, you're saying the bedrock of the relationship, the foundation, the culture, the background, religion, anything that really matters that could be a major source of, of discordance in the relationship, it's already established that you've got those in common. I like that. Number three, true or false? Men, well, this is a big one. Men and women can never be, quote, unquote, just friends, unquote. Dr. Terry, what did your findings show? My findings show, again, that the answer is false, funny. What I found is that both men and women, and that's going to be surprising to some of the men out there, but both men and women really felt that they could be just friends, platonic friends. Yes, we know that men are more likely to romanticize and sexualize a platonic friendship, but still men and women in my sample, as well as other studies, show that they can have platonic friends. And in fact, there are benefits to those friendships. You can learn a lot about the opposite sex by having a platonic friend with the opposite sex. 
Right. There's some neutrality. You have not tainted the waters of the friendship by getting intimate and having all of those OMGs attached to that. It's we're just friends. We can talk. We know they don't always stay that way, but I know I know they're possible. I have some very close opposite sex friends. Okay, number four, true or false? When you're dating, oh, this is this is even bigger than the last one, kids. So listen up. When you're dating, it's best to disclose everything about yourself in the beginning, so your partner knows the real you. No secrets, no surprises. Dr. Terry, what did research show? Research shows that again, it is false. What many people think, which is incorrect, that once they get back out there, they should just lay everything out on the table. But what we know is that those people who were telling everything to become overwhelmed. It's almost like you're sitting on an airplane with someone for five hours and they tell you everything about themselves. What you feel is anxiety and what you want to do is run for the exit. So really what people want to do is gradually self-disclose. Don't tell everything at once. Be exciting. Let somebody come to you, want more of you, and not be overwhelmed. You never know who you're talking to either. So lay it on the line slowly and gradually. Very true. You can disclose the wrong things to the wrong person too quickly and have deep regrets, and I think we've all been there. I I know there's a, a very... A pleasant excitement I've experienced, Dr. Terry, when the disclosure is gradual and it's mutual. Somebody will say something, a keyword or a phrase, or, hey, I once did this, how about you? Or they just say, I had this experience, and then it opens you up, if you're feeling like it, to sharing something similar or something opposite, but it's on the same subject, a different feeling. And, and there's a sense of a mutual disclosure. I find it's safer that way. Yeah, And also, we got to remember that relationships are give and take. Sometimes we're so concerned with selling ourselves and telling this other person about us that we forget that it is just as important, 50% as important, to ask questions and get that other person to reveal things about themselves. Yes, and now let's go to Mythbuster number five, true or false. Women have more romantic thoughts, romantic beliefs, and feelings about relationships and love than men do. Well, survey says what, Dr. Terry? The answer is false. It's the opposite. It turns out that men indeed have more romantic beliefs, thoughts, and feelings about relationships and love. Men are more likely to believe in love at first sight, that love conquers all, and that you need love, and it's not lust, but you need love to have a commitment. So what we know through the media and through stories out there is actually incorrect, or what we've been reading and seeing in the media. Men are much more romantic in their beliefs than women. Very interesting, and I think that goes along with the next next mythbuster. I'm having a tongue twister here. True or false? Women fall in love faster than men do. I know it's false. You really can prove yes. that men fall in love faster than women? Seriously, Doctor yes. Terry? Actually, men do fall in love faster, Bonnie. You know why? Because women are much more selective and cautious in who they love. (laughs) So we step back and we say, wait a minute, let me see if this person fits my criteria and do I really want to give love? Now, when we give love, we give it really hard, but we're very Mm -hmm. cautious. And in fact, many of the wives said in their stories about how they met their spouse said, he was in love with me so much sooner. I took my time. I was careful. I was cautious. But when I fell in love, I fell hard. But it was really a longer period of time than when he fell in love with me. Interesting, and that brings to mind an old song. I, I'm sure you remember it, Fools Rush In Where Angels Fear to Tread. Yes, yes exactly. And <laughs> yes, and, and I, I've had that happen to me. I've had that happen to me on the, the third or fourth date where men said, I think I love you, and I said, what? What? Well, you know, we forget that we're in the, when we're in the throes of passion, Bonnie, we don't see this person for who they really are. And in fact, what studies show is that we idealize that person. So we don't see their faults and errors and the mistakes that they're making. So when we feel something for someone, we don't see them for who they really are. So be cautious, step back, and wait. 
There's that old oxytocin coming in, that first kiss, yep. and it's in a exactly. tizzy and OMG. You can't see the forest for the trees, <laughs> and you are head over heels if you're a guy. Number seven, conflicts and arguments in a relationship are a sign of trouble. True or false, Dr. Terry? The answer is false. Now, there were four couples in my study in year one who said we never have any disagreements or conflicts. None of those four couples were still together in year three. What we know is that conflict is inevitable in all relationships because when you think about it, Bonnie, we have two people coming from different lifestyles, different families, backgrounds. You are bound to disagree on something. If you don't have conflict, you don't disagree, I think you're really not talking about the things that are important to you. So conflict is okay. It's inevitable. But what matters is how you deal and manage the conflict. What I found is that those couples who are able to constructively deal with the conflict, calmly, fighting fair, no name calling, mm-hmm. are much more happier in that relationship and they're more likely to stay together, less likely to get divorced over time. Interesting. And we have one more true-false, and then I'm going to go into a rather controversial subject on page 21 of your book just to get it out in the open. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. Number eight, there is no such thing as a good breakup. Dr. Terry, true or false, and why, please? Well, the answer is false. All breakups are challenging and hard, so it doesn't mean that there's not pain. But there are some breakups, some divorces, where individuals have respect for one another. They Mm -hmm. don't talk negatively of the other spouse or ex-spouse in front of the children. They are respectful and they are positive. You don't have to still love that person. You don't have to get along at holiday functions, but you are respectful. And that's what I call a good breakup, a good divorce. Remember that if you have children, the conflict between you and the other spouse is extremely important for that child's well-being and adjustment to the divorce. Very well put. And I want to move. Thank you for your answers. I appreciate that. I think those are eight very, very important concepts, myths to be busted for everybody, and everybody's in a relationship sooner or later. So I think we've learned a lot. Dr. Terry, let's move to page 21. I have something I want to ask you about, FWB, the old really, really weird for some people, friends with benefits. Now, we just busted the myth that men and women can't be just friends. Well, what if that friendship turns to a non-romantic, platonic, intimate relationship? I think that's an oxymoron, platonic intimacy. I'm not (laughs) sure. I just made it up, and I'm not sure I like it, Dr. Terry. So talk to me. Let's define what's the current the current definition of FWB friends with benefits and can that work is there a myth you busted or have you done any scientific research on that kind of interesting relationship Terry well friends with benefits are friends who are sexually active with one another and that can mean many things but they are sexually active with one another so there are sexual behaviors that are occurring between the two people now can it be uh, positive for individuals it depends on the two individuals and their expectations for the relationship Mm -hmm. whether or not they set boundaries and limits and whether or not they continue to communicate with one another we know that these relationships, friends with benefits are extremely challenging because oftentimes the two people are not on the same page with one another. So when one person is fine having sex and saying that I don't need more, I don't need the emotional part to it, the other person says I want the emotions, and when the other person doesn't want the emotions and wants the sex, the other person is on a different page. So it is very extremely challenging to both people both partners is it possible yes i know that when i look at the research 50 percent of friends with benefits are able to continue a friendship after the benefits so to speak go away 
Interesting. Yes, boundaries, confusion, possessiveness, demands that really have no place in that kind of relationship. I've heard it termed that when you have a friends with be- a friend with benefits, it's an LUV in your life. It's not an L-O-V-E. Somebody you can <laughs> kind of connect at will. Hey, I'm between. Are you in between? Yeah, let's get together. Okay, that was fun. Bye-bye. See you in a month. See you in a week. See you in six months. It's almost a, a, a like a pickup game in basketball. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the rules or expectations of a friendship are so different from the rules or expectations of a romantic or sexual relationship. So you are getting confusion right there because they're just so different. And we don't know what to expect. Our society has not given us the tools to deal with those different challenging expectations. Well, hopefully researchers like you will give us the tools. Now let's move on to, I'm on page 35, women have learned to connect love and sex. And you say from an early age, women learn that sex and love are one and the same thing. Okay, I think that's where we get in trouble because that's the uh, the Mars and Venus. To men, it's just, okay, let's hook up. That was fun. See ya. And the woman, it's, oh, my God, I have sex. I'm in love. Is that ever going to change, Dr. Terry? Have you done any work, any research on that? Well, from my own research, I would say mm-hmm. that that's probably never going to go away. But I okay. know that there are researchers who are finding that there are many women who don't have that same connection of love and sex and are able to be sexually active and not feel the emotions connected with that sexual behavior. In my study, though, what I found with my couples and divorced singles is that women need an emotional connection in order Mm -hmm. to desire and want a physical connection, and Ah. men have a physical connection in order to feel the emotional connection. So men have sex and then they begin to feel something for this person. Even in married couples, men will have sex and then feel more intimacy, bond, and connected with their spouse, whereas women need to feel the connection, need to feel emotional, need to feel like he's listening to me, (laughs) he understands me, in order to feel that sexual desire. And and let's take it one step further. I'm on page 36. You have these wonderful boxes, these call-outs in your book, Dr. Terry, called Did You Know? These are great little little factoids, little research tidbits, and you say, and this is interesting because we are in the year 2012, last I checked, and this seems like a carryover from many, many years, decades, even a century ago. Women who have casual sex are judged harshly by men and other women. Now, the only only conclusion I have here is that the woman is telling people she's having casual sex or the man is telling people that the woman had casual sex with him. So somebody's, uh, what do they say, loose lip, lips sink ships and reputations. So why are we still judging women badly? Because last I checked in a heterosexual relationship, there's a man and there's a woman who both had that casual sex. So why are the women still being branded as the SLUT? Can I say that, Terry? Yes, actually, we still have a double standard. Absolutely, Bonnie. We still have the double standard. And and what I say is that we don't have that traditional double standard, that it's okay for men and it's not okay for women, but we still view women who have casual sex differently than men who have casual sex. So we still put limits and boundaries on when women can have sex. They may be able to have sex now in an emotionally attached relationship. Then we don't view men and women differently. But if they have, if women have sex in a casual relationship where the emotion isn't there, we view and talk and and judge them much more harshly. The double standard still exists. And the double standard still exists by men and women toward women. Very interesting. And you know what? We have two minutes left before we bring on, doc- not doctor, but Andrew Wald, Andy Wald. I've just escalated your stature, your status here, but I know he and his and Cindy Dale have, have uh, spoken to over 80,000 people in the course of their respective practices. So I'm going to consider him uh, very, never mind, I'm getting myself in trouble. Andy, we'll bring you on in three minutes. Okay, Terry, last question. I'm on page 72 of your book, Who or What is to Blame? And here's an interesting fact in your EYM study. You say, when divorced singles are asked why their marriage ended, women blamed their ex more than men did. 80% of women blamed their spouse for the divorce, but only 47% of men did. What happened to the other, 50, the other 33% of men? To whom did they assign the blame, Terry? 
Well, people can blame a lot of things, Bonnie, for the relationship ending. They can blame their partner. They can blame themselves. They can also blame the relationship. They can blame the situation. They can blame work for breaking up their marriage. But what's really important is that those individuals who blame the relationship, we were too young, we weren't right for one another, we had too many differences, were significantly better off after the divorce and we're much more likely to find new love again afterwards. So don't blame your partner because you still hold on to that anger. He did that. She did that. That carries on the anger and you're not able to move forward. If you blame yourself, I wasn't this. I did this. You're much more likely to feel sadness and guilt Mm -hmm. and you're less likely again to be able to move forward and find new love. So in all cases, men and women, blame the relationship, use a we statement, and you will be better off and more likely to find new love again. I like that. Use the we statement. We were or we had or we did or we didn't or we didn't have. I like that, Dr. Terry. That's a good way of reframing it, isn't it? There's a a shared to it. Exactly. And, you know, you can also do that if you're married or in a relationship and something goes wrong or you have a conflict. Use the we statement again, and you're much more likely to let go of the disagreement and conflict and move forward in your relationship. And and I had an experience a couple of years ago with somebody with whom I was involved, and if I'd say thank you to him for something wonderful he did, he'd say thank us. Ooh, I like that one a lot, Does that give you goosebumps? (laughs) Tell me something. Does that give, thank us. And I just thought, wow, 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 wow. We're not together that way, but we're we're (laughs) deep and lifelong friends now. We survived the breakup as very, very wonderful friends. And I'll never forget that he taught me to say thank us. And that's going to lead me into saying thank you, Dr. Terry. You're not going anywhere, but we're going to talk about your website for a moment, and then we're going to bring on Andy Wald. Your website is Dr. D.R. Terry, T-E-R-R-I, the love doctor, T-H-E-L-O-V-E, D-O-C-T-O-R. Sorry if it's fast, but you all know how to spell it. So it's D-R, T-E-R-R-I, the love doctor, Dr. Terry, the love doctor.com. Beautiful picture of Dr. Terry here. I love your outfit. Love the blouse with the big sleeves, oh, thank Terry. Thank you. Very, very <laughs> elegant, you. very, very sharp. You have a beautiful voice, by the way. Uh, I'm delighted to be speaking with you, and I want you to help me welcome. I'm going to unmute our second guest. We're going to say, in just a second, we're going to say, one, two, three, welcome Andy Wald. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three, welcome, welcome Andy, Andy Wald. Hi. Hi, Andy. It's Bonnie, and Hi. it's the Bonnie and Terry Show. How are you, Andy? Hi, Bonnie and Terry. I'm great. Nice to have you join us. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you've been getting an earful. We're, we just I sure have. But share that we're all talking about love today. How wonderful is that? So, Andy, you heard a whole bunch of Terry's research backed by NIH and all this myth-busting. Anything resonate with you? Any comments? Would you like Actually, to ask any questions? Yes, there's uh, quite a bit. Uh, I thought uh, what you had to say, uh, Terry, was right on target. Of course, it's hard to argue with empirical data. Uh, I would. Uh, there's a couple things that I would just want to add uh, to what you have uh, mentioned uh, on almost uh, every point, actually. Uh, for instance, the uh, time after the divorce, you know, that, and you're right, there's no predetermined amount of time. However, one uh, does have to be careful, I think, uh, about running into a rebound uh, situation where uh, I'm lonely and I don't want to be left at the station, so I find somebody quickly, and it's often inappropriate, doesn't last. Uh, so you do have to be able to uh, close the door on a relationship. It's the old uh, Band-Aid, Andy. It's the Band-Aid relationship, the right? The Band-Aid, that that's exactly it right. covers the, the ooboo, the ouchie, the owie, and says, okay, I can survive. Right. Somebody likes me, loves me, wants to have sex with me. Wow, I'm a person again. Yes, good point. Terry, any comment on that? Agree, disagree? I am. I think that is wonderful, Andy. I totally agree with you. In fact, the first four chapters of my book, Finding Love Again, are all about really stepping back and getting to know yourself, letting go of the past and your ex-relationship, and making sure, like you just said, that you can trust and really care about another person again so that you don't get involved too soon. Absolutely agree with you. People, I think people are afraid of the pain, and they really do need to go through it, and they can survive. Uh, and if they try to cover it up, like you said, with a Band-Aid, it leads to problems. 
um, you got to do the work. What else, Andy? Go ahead. Well, um, this uh, this is kind of a combination. The opposite attracts uh, idea and uh, the uh, conflicts uh, is a sign of a problem. Um, that uh, similarities keep people together. Uh, and I, I think that's true. And I think that people uh, are different. I have uh, in uh, uh, my book a statement that uh, you are not me and we're both right. And so we are different people. <laughs> yep. uh, and what I think is uh, uh, of utmost important is a saying that I made up, is that a measure of a good relationship is not just how we, uh, well we get along, but how well we can resolve our differences. And uh, sometimes people have opposite uh, you know, uh, ideas. How well can we come together as a team uh, to work on this with with uh, goodwill, and I think goodwill is mm-hmm. uh, so important in uh, uh, um, resolving differences. And so is the concept of teamwork. I'm hearing you say as a team, meaning uh, you know the old marriage vows. Does anybody still say them uh, together through thickness, through, through what, through thick and thin, and sickness and health, and all that good stuff to right. lead to us? What you know that was. I think that was the original intention of the vows. Was we'll get through life together. Damn it. <laughs> right. Well, it's not, it doesn't need to be a power struggle. It needs to be yeah. that we're on the same team and we're working to find consensus, something that's going to work for both of us. And we're we're equal partners in that. Yes. Uh, Good point. Any other points you want to talk about before we dive into your book with Dr. Um, sure. Um, I think uh, in uh, relationships that start fast tend to end fast. Um, I think that uh, the probably, in my opinion, the most important uh, uh, virtue uh, to a long-lasting relationship is patience. And uh, patience needs to be started in the very beginning of the relationship and, uh, you know, carried through uh, on onward. Uh, also, you're, it's interesting you're talking about uh, love at first sight. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I had that. Uh, and I've now been married uh, 39 years, and I knew the I knew the first day I met my wife that I was going to marry her. Uh, the truth is, I didn't know her very well, obviously, and we did get to know each other. But it can work uh, if you're diligent and uh, patient. Uh, so that teamwork and that commitment. Good comments, Andy. Thank you. Terry, we're going to dive into, Andy and I are going to dive into his book right now, Togetherness, and I'm going to bring you into the conversation again in a few minutes. So you're going to do what he did. You're going to listen, please, and then we're going to get some comments from you. How's that? Sounds great. Good. Okay. All right, Andy, I want to talk about your beautiful book. The cover is amazing. Togetherness Thank is you. the gold embossed. You're welcome. Gold embossed on a, a beautiful, almost an antique white linen cover. I just love books that really feel good to the touch. And uh, creating and deepening sustainable love, Cindy Dale and Andrew Wald. So tell me a little bit about your practice and Cindy's, how you two came to work together. I know the two of you have had, in aggregate, 35 years of professional experience and over 80,000 client sessions. So what do you do? Actually, it's 85,000, believe it or not. Excuse Um, me, we have to update (laughs) the press release. So tell me, what do you do, what does Cindy do, and why does it work so well together in a professional partnership, Andy? That's a a great question. Well, Cindy, uh, this is, by the way, her 16th book, first time that she has uh, co-authored a book. Uh, in all of her books, she's uh, a therapist with a decided uh, spiritual bent. Uh, and uh, so she brings the energetic uh, spiritual part to a relationship, and I bring the practical psychological part to a relationship. And we were talking, uh, we've been friends for 15 years, and uh, of how similar we saw relationships and uh, she has her a little bit different kind of take, uh, but it is not, it's very uh, complementary to my kind of take, uh, and uh, we just blended it and decided, wouldn't it be neat to create a book uh, that, is, uh, that talks about how love is achievable, uh, no matter what stage of a relationship you're in. And uh, we decided to, um, to, to make that happen. 
Well, I'm, I'm very impressed with the book. I enjoyed reading it. I read most of it before the show today, and I like to to read just the day of the show so everything is very fresh in my mind. Andy, uh-huh. I'd like to read Best a little reader. bit from... Uh, I do, I do. It used to take me hours and hours. Now I can do it about an hour a book. Just I know wow. what I want to talk about, and I use a lot of sticky notes in the book so I know where to go. But I do read. Question, may I read, with your permission, the answer to the question, Why Togetherness, on page 21? Is that okay? Yes, of course. Okay, why togetherness? And this is important to our discussions. Everybody listen up. No matter what phase of life or relational circumstances any of us find ourselves in right now, love matters. Okay, everybody get out your magic marker, get out your chalk, your crayon, your pencil, your pastels. Write down somewhere, love matters. That's what I want you to remember. Whether young, middle-aged, or old, whether single, married, or on the fence about a relationship, love matters. Write that down. Tattoo it somewhere. Important. <laughs> Even if we're, I think this is good stuff. Even if we're hard-pressed to define or describe what love is, we know that it is our fuel. When allowed to flow, love delights the body. It nourishes the heart. It nurtures the soul. This is beautiful. This is poetry. As far as we can tell, loving is more an art than a science, but we do appreciate Dr. Terry's scientific back up on (laughs) on the facts of of love. Although we could ponder the universal and phenomenological, that's a new word for me, nature of love, what we have found is that what really touches and moves people is the personal expression of love. When it comes to love, most of us want, everybody listen and nod your head if you agree, most of us want closeness tenderness, affection, and intimacy. What most of us desire is to be accepted, appreciated, wanted, and cherished. In addition to our needs for water, oxygen, and food, what we most seem to hunger for is the emotional depth and heart-to-heart connection that we have made the focal point of this book. This is Cindy and Andy speaking. That connection is togetherness. That's absolutely beautiful, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. My pleasure. I enjoyed reading it. An hour, and uh, a year and a quarter in the making. <laughs> lovely. Just just lovely. So so talk to me, togetherness. Talk to me about soulmates. Talk to me about who gets to achieve the kind of togetherness that Terry has studied for 25 years. Who gets to achieve the kind of togetherness <clears throat> that we're all in search of, Andy? Is it elusive? Is it out there? Can we make it happen? Can we learn how we to make can. it happen? We can make it happen at any stage, at any age. There's something that's also very important here that uh, is, is a distinction, that it's not just a soulmate. I think people mm-hmm. tend to overestimate uh, the importance of just finding the soulmate. I think uh, it is just as important uh, to have friends, to have family, and to have community, and to have a relationship with God uh, in whatever you choose uh, him or her mm-hmm. to be. Uh, and those uh, are <laughs> welcome uh, are also extremely extremely important and uh, uh, not to underestimate it. People tend to think, well, if I don't have a soulmate, then I'm just alone. Well, that's not really true. You have to cherish your friendships also. It's like uh, we use uh, talk about in the uh, book uh, The Wizard of Oz uh, the story. It's their sense of community that spurred them along. Those were soulmates. Uh, that Dorothy had and all of them had. So it's not just uh, uh, the single soulmate that's uh, And I want to also talk about your four cornerstones of togetherness, which is on page 22 of the book. You list the togetherness within the self, togetherness with a future partner, togetherness with a current partner, and togetherness with the divine. So you've touched all four pillars in the book. Right. Now right. talk to me about the truth. You have a, a very profound statement on page 36. You say, somewhere inside, we all know the truth. We may not want to admit it for months, years, or decades, but we know when the circumstances of our relationship are right and when they're not. We just need to have the skills to understand ourselves better and a little more courage to face what we know to be true. And do women know the truth faster or do men know the truth faster? We can ask Terry later on if she can myth bust that one. Uh-huh. Who knows the truth about where the standing is in a relationship? Do I think we know? all do. I don't do think it's uh, gender specific. We all know okay. what the truth is. Uh, the problem is that sometimes uh, our, we want the relationship 
to work no matter what, even though we know the truth that it's not going to be. I, I uh, use an example in there of a woman who is married and her husband was cheating on her, and she desired this relationship so much. She made, tried everything she could to make it work. It was not going to work. For I worked years. with her. She stayed for years. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Right, and so I, I finally worked with her, and the truth came out that uh, that it, it was not going to work, and uh, she was able to meld uh, her heart and her mind uh, to come up with what the truth really is. And sometimes it's uh, trying to combine oil and water. Uh, it doesn't want to combine, but when you can, the truth does come out, and uh, it will set you free, although it may hurt. Okay. Talk to me about people in relationships. Do we... I'm going to use a very harsh word, using. Do we use each other in relationships, or when is a relationship just, it's just being together and it's not, oh, I need him to take me to a dance, or, or he's saying, I need her to show up at my parents' anniversary party, or I need to have a date for New Year's Eve. When is it something that's, hey, we're together, we're happy, let's do stuff, rather than I'll stay with this person in another six months because I need somebody to do something with her yeah. to show up with. Well, I think, about uh, love and use, yeah, there, there's a problem there, and the word is need. I think when you, uh, okay. uh, people tend to uh, misuse the word need and love together because they're very different. Uh, a a, a, a a relationship based on need is a very different uh, relationship uh, based on love because love is uh, about giving and not just uh, receiving. Uh, so if you're, you're talking about I need a date, I need this, that's not love. That's, uh, that's another animal altogether, and uh, that won't last long unless, unless you have somebody who is... Uh, Somebody who just loves to give and has no sense of self, themselves, you know, inside. Uh, but it's not a mutual relationship, and it needs to be mutual. We have to uh, look after each other's needs, but we really, deep down, have to take care of our own needs uh, from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's yes. a big part Very of our uh, first part of our book is uh, to be able to love yourself uh, first. And that really is uh, taking into account that you need to love yourself uh, first and uh, take care of that without blame uh, or shame of the other person or anybody else. And that, uh, that, that, that's a, a, a difficult endeavor. People who end up uh, with criticism, shame, and blame are, uh, and I think Terry was talking about that before, uh, run into a lot of trouble uh, in a relationship, it uh, and, needs Andy, to that's be. that's a perfect segue to what I want to talk about next. On page 46, you have something that actually made me cry. It's a conversation with your child self, a sacred meditation. Yes, now, I've done, yes. I've done guided meditations <clears throat> with somebody on a webinar, and I, I did cry. I went into a space where I saw myself as that child sitting in a garden. Yours is a little bit different, but it's lovely. Do you want to, I don't want to sit here and read two pages, but I'd like you to explain to my listeners a little bit about this sacred meditation and why it's so important and what happens with this child and how you conjure up your child. So tell us a little, Andy, please. Yeah, uh, so many times we grow up in an uh, environment where there's a lot of criticism, and we end up, uh, that criticism becomes our voice, and we criticize ourselves, and we tend not to like who we are. And uh, if you can really take a look at that little girl or that little boy uh, inside and see them and look into their eyes and see their innocence, you can fall in love with them over again and recognize the errors of the judgment that you have again, uh, about them. Um, I, I, I talk about uh, just briefly uh, this uh, movie called A Thousand Clowns. Are you familiar with it? It's way back. I I don't 60s. remember. I'm going to ask Terry. Do you remember the movie A Thousand Clowns, Terry? I do not. Okay. <laughs> I, it's I an old it's movie, famous. black and white, with Jason Robards. Yes. And in one part of it, it says, uh, he says, uh, when you go to a circus, you'll see a little car putt-putt around. It'll stop. The doors fly open and out pour a thousand clowns. That's us. Uh, that's our minds. That's our ego states. That's who we are. And what you don't want is to have the little boy or little girl that's wounded in the driver's seat. So this is a way of uh, taking care of that little boy and girl uh, and to nurture them so they don't run your life. 
and that's the the purpose of this exercise. Andy, I'm just going to give a little background here. I'm a I'm a whiz on getting Wikipedia up in ten seconds or less. A Thousand Clowns is a 1962 American play by Herb Gardner, which yep. tells the story of a young boy who lives with his eccentric uncle Murray, who is forced to conform to society in order to keep custody of the boy. A 1965 movie version was adapted from the play by Gardner, directed by Fred Coe, and indeed Jason Robards played yep. Murray Burns, the uncle. Barbara Harris played Dr. Sandra Markowitz. Sandy Dennis won the Tony in 63 for the stage version. Martin Balsam was in it. Barry Gordon, William Daniels, Gene Sachs, Philip Burns, Brones, and John McMartin. I don't know who they are. Anyway, so you can go to Wikipedia and put in the words A, thousand spelled out clowns, and you can read about the movie. Thank you for it's that. It's a black and white Culture. movie, by the way. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> I love those. So, so tell us, just give us a little clue about how to do this guided meditation, because I love the way you set the scene, Andy. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, what you want to do is to uh, get into a, um, a very quiet, uh, tranquil place and uh, take yourself to uh, a place where you uh, felt very peaceful and tranquil. And uh, then uh, when you uh, feel comfortable, uh, take a look uh, in a distance and you see somebody coming towards you. At first, you don't know who it is. As they get closer, you see that it is the child part of you. It's a child that you were at a time of difficulty. We all have had it. I mean, so none of us escape that. And you, you beg the child or ask the child to come closer, and you ask the child to tell you what life is like for them. And you listen very intently and lovingly. And you uh, let them know after they uh, tell you the, their whole story uh, that you are there for them and you will always be there for them. And that you will look after them and take care of them. And then you hug this child and you bring this child inside of you, in your heart, where this child lives. And uh, you then uh, intermittently will contact this child and see how they're doing. Let them know that you love them. And have the child tell you, is there something that he, this, uh, he or she needs to let you know? And you listen uh, with uh, great empathy and compassion. And that's how you take care of it. And then you come back uh, to the, your tranquil place uh, and then slowly bring yourself back to the, the present. Uh, Thank you, I, Andy. I do this in my uh, practice um, mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit, actually. And you actually mentioned in your book that uh, you were talking about you and Cindy writing the book. And you say each day of the week we open up our schedule books to review who we'll be working with as the day unfolds, looking at the names of individuals and couples. And then you make a point that you still use an old-fashioned appointment book. Good for you. <laughs> we begin to mentally and energetically prepare for the conversations. You say 90% of the people you'll talk to in any given day are addressing relationship concerns, most often intimate. These are husbands, wives, boyfriends, and girlfriends. So I have a quick question for you, and I want to bring Dr. Terry into this. Your Chapter 6 in your beautiful book, Togetherness, Andy Wald, is Making Peace with Difficult Relationships. Do you have a formula or a guideline for how long should somebody stay? The person who, shall we say, is aware that it's difficult or who is bothered by the difficulty, shall we say, where there's a what I call in my eBay class, I call it the clutter factor. There's a clutter factor in their life that, damn, this just isn't working, but I don't know if I'm ready to give it up or walk away or fix it. So any guidance from you first and then from Terry on how long to stay with a difficult relationship and how do you make peace? And when do you know if it's, what do they say? How, when to fold them, when, when to hold them, right. when, when to walk to hold, away, when, when to fold. run. Right. That's it. That's it. I, I don't so think handy. that there is a, uh, a set formula for that. I think what you do is to satisfy your own conscience that you've tried everything that you know to make it work. Now, also, if you have a cooperative partner, there's much greater chance that you can work through the difficulties and make it work. If you have a partner that uh, is immovable, then uh, there's less likely chance that uh, there's going to be movement and change that you're looking for. Uh, but when you know, you've done everything you know and uh, your conscience tells you that you've done everything, then it's time to fold and move on as gently as run. you can. Yep. Walk and run. Terry, what's your Dr. Terry Orbeck, the love doctor, what's your POV on this point of view? <coughs> Well, I think first if there's a lot of conflict and hatred and you're saying negative things in front of the children um, and other family members, we know that that has 
such a detrimental effect on the yeah. children that that's one of the things that you should think about as you're deciding whether or not to stay or leave. But I also think that people stay and leave relationships, uh, especially romantic relationships, for different reasons, only one of which is am I happy or am I not? Some people mm-hmm. stay because there are moral or ethical reasons that they are married and m- morality or religion does not allow them to leave that relationship. So that's when they need to make peace with that relationship and perhaps have different expectations of what they're going to get out of that relationship. And then there are others that are so fearful of the consequences, as Andy was saying, you know, what will happen if I leave? The social consequences, will I have money? Where will I live? What will I do? Um, And then I think you need to make sure that you have friends and family around you and a support network before you get out of that relationship. Right. Absolutely. Right. I'm hearing crackling and on somebody's line, but it's so close to the end, I'm not going to mute either one of you. We'll just let it crackle. Me. Go, go ahead, um, Mikey. I was ahead, just going to say that um, the uh, three things that makes a good relationship, we talked about three uh, things that uh, don't, criticism, shame, and blame. The three things that really work in a relationship, I think, are forgiveness, appreciation, and optimism. And if uh, a couple can you know, utilize that, uh, they're well on their way. Um, that uh, you know, that uh, criticism, shame, and blame uh, will destroy a relationship. I and I have question. to say, Bonnie. Yep. Sure. Oh. Go ahead, Terry. Please. Just to, to add to what Andy said, the number one thing that I found that keeps couples together over the long term is that appreciation, or what I call affirmation. Mm-hmm. You even said that people want to feel appreciated, accepted, and valued when you don't feel that, or when my spouses or the spouses in my study did not feel appreciated, accepted, and valued. Over time, they become extremely less happy, and that couple was significantly more likely to divorce as well. Okay, Terry, I'm going to ask you. Go ahead, Andy, and then I'll oh, One last thing uh, that, uh, you know, we talked about uh, kindness, and I think that I just wanted to add that it's not just kind acts, it's knowing acts of loving kindness. You know what the other person likes, and you do those things, not just random acts, by the way. Again, you've segued exactly into my question. I'll pose it for both of you. We have five minutes left, and I think we have time. Question is, when one partner... Stop saying I love you, but they show acts acts of love and intimacy, and the intimacy deepens, but the absence of the words bothers the other person. And no matter how many times it's gently asked, could you say it, or I'd love to hear you say it, there's an absence of saying it. What the hell does that mean? Andy, you go first. Well, I I think that uh, everybody has a different language of love. And uh, if they're doing uh, loving acts, knowing acts of loving kindness, that is their language. And you need to uh, understand that and get with the program for that. Maybe, I, and then all, I would ask, you know, why is it so hard for you to tell me you love me? What's that all about? And see if they're, uh, they can. Uh, but you need to know what the, each other's uh, language of love is and uh, enjoy that. I'll tell my friend. Terry, what do you have to say on that one? I agree with Andy, Bonnie. I think that we can express love through words or we can express love through actions and that sometimes it, we want our partner to do what we're doing and we miss the other expression so that if we want our partner to say, I love you because that's how we say love or express mm-hmm. love, we're missing what's really happening in the relationship and how our spouse or partner is expressing that love. And so it's a perception. It's putting ourselves in their shoes and it's trying to understand how they're expressing love to us. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, I'll tell my friend the famous last words. Thank you both. I appreciate it. It's when it's said early. It's when it's said early in the relationship and then it stops. That's the big question mark is why did the expression change? But I'll tell my friend. Okay, quickly, Dr. Terry, the love doctor, what's next for you? I can give you uh, 45 seconds. Go. Well, I am going to continue to follow the couples as well as the divorce individuals into their new relationships over time. I'm hopeful that I will continue to get funding from NIH to follow these individuals and couples. 
Um, and my next book is going to be on how relationships affect children and what are the kinds of lessons that we can teach children about relationships. There is no handbook, and we don't have a clear guideline about how to teach children. So that's my next book. Thank you. That's Dr. Terry, D-R-T-E-R-R-I, thelovedoctor.com. You have to spell that on your own. Let's go to Andrew Wald, A-N-D-R-E-W-L-D. Andy, quickly, tell me what's next for you, my dear. Well, uh, I'm going to continue to work on my in my private practice, which I have been for the last 38 years. Um, actually, I've seen over 50,000 uh, sessions, and I'm still not wow. bored. So uh, I love you. doing that. I have a children's book that uh, is uh, going to be coming out uh, next year, it, uh, and it uh, segues very well into what Terry was talking about. It is about relationships, and it's called Pals at this point, uh, okay. and uh, about how to sustain a relationship when difficulties occur. And then there's a webinar coming up uh, with uh, Cindy and I later this fall. Very nice, and that's andrewwald.com, A-N-D-R-E-W-W-A-L-D. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been another very interesting session of Read My Lips. I felt like I was in session with two pros here. Okay, Dr. Terry the Love Doctor, Andy Wald, a.k.a. Andrew Wald, and in absentia, Cindy Dale. You're going to take a big, deep breath. You're going to blow out a big kiss of walk, kiss to the world, and let's wish everybody more togetherness, more love, and just figure it out and tell us all how it worked out. So here we go. Mmm. Mm. on the phone, Dr. Terry, Andy Wald. It's been a delight speaking with both of you. Thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom, your lovely book, and I appreciate you being on the show with me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be here next week on Read My Lips. Talk to you soon. Mom, I love you. I'll talk to you later. Everybody watch the debate. Sure to be entertaining. What else can I tell you? Talk to you next week right here on Read My Lips. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Mwah! Bye-bye.